Every five minutes, someone dies while waiting for a compatible donor heart, liver, or kidney. On a remote island in Lake Superior, a team of geneticists strive to engineer an animal with human-compatible organs, thereby saving millions of lives. But these ancestors are not the docile herd animals they envision. Instead, the project spawns something big, something evil, something hungry. Ancestor by number one New York Times bestselling novelist Scott Sigler is available for free on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Nightmare Magazine Story Podcast. I'm your host, Jack Kincaid. Nightmare Magazine is edited by John Joseph Adams and Wendy Wagner. The stories of this podcast are produced by Skybook Media, the most respected independent audio production team on the West Coast, directed by Stefan Rudnicki and Gabrielle Decure, in association with Jim Freund. Our first offering for the May issue is Bride Before You by Stephanie Malia Morris. The story is read for you by the author. Bride Before You is copyright 2018 by Stephanie Malia Morris. Stephanie Malia Morris works in a bookstore by day and a library by night, which gives her access to more books than she could possibly read over several lifetimes. She's a recipient of the Octavia E. Butler Memorial Scholarship Award and a graduate of the 2017 Clarion West Writers Workshop. She's narrated short fiction for Starship Sofa, Far-Fetched Fables, Uncanny, and all four of the Escape Artist podcasts. You can find her on Twitter at Morris. And so ends this week's intro. So, without further ado, let's have a nightmare. Bride Before You by Stephanie Malia Morris Such a beautiful boy, Cornelius Clay. Pity no woman will marry him. And to think it ain't even his fault, sweet baby, born into money and beauty both, like the good Lord couldn't part with his blessings fast enough. Lord, this boy, skin so bright he looks anointed, hair straight as an Indian's and black as molasses. There's four generations of freedmen in that skin and hair, and he can name every single one of them. He got a body so fine, even the angels crying out, silver screen silhouette in a tailored suit and two-toned wingtips, Hat brim so crisp it shadow slices butter, so tall he don't got to see nobody unless he wants to. He graduated summa cum laude from Howard and Harvard Law and escorted Clara Cox Linwood herself at their cotillion. He steps onto the street and every head turns, men sucking their teeth with want, women flattening hands on bellies, on bosoms, relishing the way their thighs sweetly moisten. Lord, what that boy can do to a body in broad daylight in a public street. God never made nobody so perfect as Cornelius Clay, and probably won't ever again. Ain't for lack of trying Cornelius can't get married. He got the looks, the education, the name. He got the money. But he also got one other thing. Me. Know this. That we were both born in this house to the same woman on the same day in the same month of the same year. Ain't nobody but me gonna confess to it, but it's God's truth. 
You ask about that first child born to Miss Theodis Bethel Clay, and you get two kind of looks, confused and sidelong. The confused ones say, the Clays only got the one son, sounding so earnest you want to apologize for asking. The ones look at you sidelong, they purse their lips and flick their eyes and size you up. If you one of them, then maybe they heard something about that evil rumor sprung up twenty-odd years ago. If you ain't, they don't know nothing. Nothing my ass. They didn't know nothing twenty years back and they don't know nothing now. They get their stories from their housekeeper, who claims she heard some ungodly holler in the day Miss Theodis Bethel Clay give birth. They get their rumors from the sheets the servants burned out back, from the sight of Cornelius himself, so tiny and red he looked like he came too early. How a baby that small come up out of a woman who got so big during pregnancy everyone swears she was carrying twins? The midwife delivered us long gone, and she took the truth with her. Tales of something tar slick come shooting out from between the legs of Miss Theodis Bethel Clay, this thing the midwife take for the uterus, the afterbirth, a miscarriage, anything but what it is. A tight coiled lump of flesh and hair, eight legs uncurling and dripping through her fingers until she drops it, screaming, and the spider's web, its thick white strands wrapped around the neck of a baby still stuck in the birth canal. Miracle either of us came out alive. How our mama hollered. Her own mama would have died of shame. But nobody talk about that. All they got is speculation about the two babies slid out of Miss Theodis Bethel Clay that day, one dead and one living, or one black and one white, or one marked by God and the other by the devil. Closest they get to guessing right is maybe one of them babies a girl. But don't nobody know a damn thing about how my brother and I was born. We children of the Black 400, Cornelius and me, one of the best families in Washington. Our daddy's worth over 60000 and a trustee everywhere. Our mamas descended from New York's upper crust and rules the society columns like Nefertiti. We up to our eyeballs in tradition, clubs and cotillions, summers on the Chesapeake. The eldest child marries first, the second child after. Been that way since our family got free. Hell, if I'm ever gonna let them forget. I was born first, and don't you let nobody tell you otherwise. I ate my brother's first two brides, and I'll eat his next one, too, he ever find her. A bride for me, brother, before a bride for you. His first bride, named Clara Cox Linwood, Washington debutante, finished up north in a school in Concord, got a daddy in politics, and her mama's a socialite. The Washington Post named Clara herself Queen of the District Cotillion, printed a picture of her on my brother's arm with her glossy hair piled high and her neck roped in pearls. She was known for her cheekbones years before Lena Horn, cheekbones like Trojan cliffs, men pounding their bodies against them for want of love. Skin like honey-gold apples ripe off the bough, that melted like a tender cut of pork between my jaws. But we ain't there yet. You got to wait for that bit. They had an understanding between them, Clara and Cornelius, long before they stepped beneath those ballroom lights. They was each other's future, promised to each other, because that's how you do things among Du Bois's talented tenth. 
You promise your son to the daughter of a fellow Boole man, who graduated Howard same year as you and got a family pew in St. Luke's, who's worth enough he don't blink once at a wedding that'll cost upward twenty thousand. Clara's dress came from Paris, Cornelius's suit from London. The food and flowers arrived for days, tulip and calla lily, bride's cake dressed in gum-paste roses, groom's cake soaked in liquor. The smell crept into my attic parlor, where I sat spinning to keep the devil out my mind, but the devil up in there anyway, kicking up a fuss. My legs bristled with the stink of my brother's wedding feast, and my spinnerets itched until I couldn't stand to hunt, spin, or even sit still. Where was my dress, my flowers, my groom? I found chinks in the wainscot, eight for eight eyes, and watched my brother and his fiancée go about their business. I nested in the walls and shook when my mama called Clara, daughter, and Clara called her, mother, right back, like either of them got any business saying those words to each other. You got a daughter, I cried to my mama through the attic floorboards. You got a daughter, I howled to my daddy on the rare nights he sat in his office. You got a sister, I snarled to my brother as he slept, and the first wedding's my right, not yours. But they ain't listening. My voice was the groaning of this house's old bones, the water in the pipes, the new help still learning to clean so soft you forget they there. This body, this voice of mine was everything and nothing at all. Only Clara stopped, head cocked, eyes narrowed. Clara alone, who stopped to wonder about the creaks, the rustling, the still, small voice in the walls. And that's how I got her in the end. Girl listening to things she got no business hearing. Girl so sharp she gon' cut herself on what she don't know. She walked through these halls like she got a right to em, switching her hips and sashaying into rooms nobody never quite said not to go, saying, Oh, she thought she heard a footstep. Oh, she thought she heard her name. Closing in day by day on the top of that winding stair and the dormer door at the end of it. That door we don't open, that door we don't know about. Sealed up these twenty-odd years like walls gon' keep me out. Clara thought this house, this family, belonged to her, like everything always been hers since she took her first breath. But she didn't know half of what it means to be a clay, and I was a long time in teaching her. She weren't looking for me that night, weren't looking nowhere but at that dormer door when she should have been looking up. My stinger punched through cloth and slid into the whipped cream of her skin. How she gasped. Soft and high, her full cry wedged in her throat, too big to get out. She clutched at me as she crumpled, stared up with her jaw hanging like an unlatched window, the kind I'm always crawling through. She stared until the seizing started, and her eyes rolled back like she'd been possessed by the Holy Spirit. I spun her a shroud while I waited, silk whiter than the whites of her eyes, whiter than her wedding dress. I laced her up when the venom had slackened her mouth, made lead of her limbs. I told her how my brother was born in a call of spider's web, told her how our mama swallowed seeds, hoping one would give her the baby she couldn't make and her husband wasn't giving her, fistfuls, 
when the Condra woman told her to eat only one. She wanted that baby to take her back to New York, I said, as Clara's jerking slowed and her chest caved in. She told my daddy she couldn't take this heat, this heavy wet air, couldn't take these backwoods niggers and they 400 families all up in her business, and why couldn't she and him go home? She went to a conjure woman, said, tell me how to get with child, because she thought a child would bring her husband out of this southern sinkhole, that a child meant he'd take her home, back to her people. This close to the Mason-Dixon, she thought she was in Mississippi. She was tired of thunderstorms, mosquito bites ribbing her neck like a line of pennies. Washington society wasn't New York society, and Mr. Theodos Bethel Clay wasn't the man she'd gone south for. She was done. The conjure woman told her to bathe in fresh rainwater on a full moon night, handed her a pouch of seeds and said, eat only one, cause they all carry the makings of a child. But how my mama gonna eat only one with the taste of that first seed so sweet and good saliva broke through her mouth like a woman's water? Oh, how she hungered. Ain't just men who hunger, who want, who leave a place to make something of themselves. Women want just as much, and the world lets them down just as hard, harder. My mama dug every single one of them seeds out of that pouch, not even bothering to blow off the soil, and she tossed them back, black seeds, black soil, and all. She got her son. Red as wet Georgia clay, waxy skin stretched tight over soft ribs and spidery veins, eyes sealed up under a silken veil. He came out starved, thighs thin and long and knees like knuckles, neck roped like he'd been lynched, dragged out into that heavy, sour-smelling birthing room to the sound of our mama's thin, raw lowing and the midwife shouting. She got her baby boy, and she got me, too. Her burden, her sin, the wages of her greed. They couldn't even find me after Cornelius been born, after they cut the cord and peeled off the call and saw he wasn't gone die right then. They looked for me, but I had dried off by then, limped off into the shadows lying long beneath the bed, hid until I found my way into the walls. And maybe my mama hoped she free when she and the midwife couldn't find me, hoped that handful of seeds wouldn't come back to haunt her. But she knew. She heard me mewling for her in the walls and knew. I started with Clara's head long after she gone still hollowed her out, ate her down to the bone. The bones didn't liquefy like her innards, and so I wound them in her wedding shroud, that dress of whitest silk, finer than anything they gon' make in Paris. I took her downstairs and laid her out in the parlor for my family to find. Strange fruit cut down from the tree, this terrible, unspeakable thing. I am here. I am here. For two years, Cornelius leave for Tulsa to practice law on Negro Wall Street. And when he come back, he got himself a second bride-to-be, one Josephine Ives, who says she won't marry him until he take her home to Washington to meet his family to see how he lived. They must don't got newspapers down that way. She didn't know nothing about the first bride. He accompanied her and her mama down, 
set them up in the White Law Hotel, and took a room on the floor below theirs. My mama cried when she learned Cornelius been in town two days and ain't been to see her. She begged him to come home, and when he wouldn't, said at least come for Sunday dinner. They came for Sunday dinner, because my brother could refuse her only so far. Cornelius sat in his old chair, with Josephine at his side, and you'd think they was master and mistress there in that house to look at him, so young and bright. The electric light turned her hair to gold and my brothers to river water under moonlight. And when the women rose to go to the other room afterward, my mama squeezed Josephine's hands and said, What a charming young lady my son has found for himself. I was in the parlor walls, trembling so hard my body started to seize. I raked my claws against the wall, deep enough to scar the lathe and plaster. Josephine paused, tilted her head. What was that? Nothing. My mama rose and started across the room. Mrs. Clay, are you all right? But my mama had run out of polite words, and she took the winding stairs two at a time. I followed her, not even bothering to be quiet, thumping and scraping against the walls. One of my mama's heels slipped off, clattered down the steps, and by the time she reached the dormer door, she was in her stockinged feet. Stop this! Her voice was thin and shrill. She slammed a hand against the wall once, twice. Leave us be! Why can't you leave us be? Twenty years I've been waiting to hear her say a single word to me, and this what she say. Do you hear me? Whap, 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 went her hand. We do not want you here. Get out of this house. Get out. Get out. Get out. She covered her mouth with first one shaking hand, then the other. Stood there, floorboards creaking under her as she rocked. They heard her downstairs. Cornelius didn't even stop to see what was wrong. He just gathered up Josephine and her mother and hustled them out of the house. By the time my mama went back downstairs... They was long gone, but by the time they reached the White Law, I was already there. I wrapped Josephine in a shroud of whitest silk, engagement band on a finger bone gone spongy and frail. And now folks is saying Cornelius Clay is cursed, and what woman gonna marry him? This skin of mine hungry and hard as the devil's smile, and it ain't never been touched by love. You don't know what it is to sing under warm hands, don't even remember the midwife's clammy grip. I was born wearing this black shell of skin, born with all these legs and all these eyes, and I am tired, tired, and all I want is for this body to go away. There's too much of me inside it. I can't barely remember the last time I molted, the last time this hungry, pinching skin let me loose. I was small then, and my skin split like a ripe peach. I dragged myself free, inch by inch, and sprawled and shivered on the floor when it was shed. I'd never hurt so much. But all these years later, the pain is back, all the soft parts of me straining to get out, body so ripe I can choke on my own sweet stink but the skin won't break. I dream of hands on me some nights, 
warm hands, soft hands, hands loving, hands needing. I want to be touched so much I can't breathe. How this want inside me strains this hungry skin, this wanting skin, this skin I can't escape. The day my brother don't accompany the remains and grieving mother of Josephine Ives back to Tulsa, my mother disappears. She walks out in her morning suit and is still gone by the evening. The help long gone by the time she leaves, my daddy at his office. I listen for her in the small, stale hours. It's still dark enough to pass for night by the time she gets home. Her footsteps slow at the stairs, pause, and then she climbing, one careful step at a time. At the top of the flight, she keeps walking, past first one bedroom, then the next. She stops at the dormer door, stands there so long, I wonder what's happened to her. And then the snick of a penknife unfolding, the chunk and grind of steel on plaster. I crouch at the back of my attic parlor, as far back as I can get, staring at the corner that holds the dormer door. It takes my mama a long time to break through that door. Night turns to morning. The shutter's gone blue by the time she starts on the door. Thunk, 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 beaten at the lock. Outside, below my window, the alley's waking up. The help's letting they sails in, the cook smoking a pipe. My legs itch with the sharp, sweet scent of bright leaf tobacco. The lock breaks. But the door swole up after all these years, and my mama got to shove it in. She's a shadow on the sloping wall, stooping under the eaves. I can't tell if she's looking at me, can't tell if she knows I'm here. She takes a step, then stops. I do this for Cornelius, she says. I do this for my son. She darts across the room then, her breath wet and shaking. I crouch a moment too long. It's been over twenty years since I've been this close to the woman who gave birth to me, and I can't move. There's too much of her. The stiff rustle of her walking suit, the ticklish scent of her perfume, and under it, her salt smell. Her hands are on my back, plunging deep past the hair, her fingers skidding, hunting for purchase under my bristles. But there is only the unbroken carapace. She makes a breathless, angry sound and plunges her hand in a second time, and pain shoots down my abdomen and up into my eyes. My back splinters. I don't know where the knife gone. I do this for Cornelius, she'd said. I do this for my son. I rear back, thrashing against the wall, keening. My mama clings on, forcing the knife deeper into my back. I shake, but still she won't let go. The knife clatters to the floor, but she's found a handhold. She digs in both hands and pulls. The pain is so hot and white I can't see, even as I fling myself thrashing across the room. Her hands are under my carapace, digging into sinew and innards too soft for touching. A piece of shell comes loose, a jagged dripping splinter. And then all my skin is sloughing off, my mama's hands tearing, peeling, wrenching. Where did you go? She cries as bigger and bigger pieces drop to the floor. 
Where did you go? Where are you? Where did you go? She is crying. Her tears sting. Where are you? Relentless hands pulling me apart. The carapace scatters across the floor and still she digs, shouting, Where did you go? Her arms are full of my flesh, scooping out chunks. There is a moment before I stop knowing anything, a moment when I need her to find me. My legs give. We both fall. And still she tears at me, sobbing, calling, Where are you? And where did you go? I am here. I always been here. The daughter you lost, she always been here. Reach. My two hands are lifted and open. You got to split the skin, says the conjure woman, and dig, dig, dig. You got to dig through the skeleton, through the meat. You got to dig until you find her and pull her out. You are telling me to kill her, says the woman. You are telling me to kill my baby. No, says the conjure woman. She hasn't changed since the woman last stood before her, begging for a child. Her braids are weighted in silver, her face deeply brown and unlined. No, I am telling you how to find her. But what if she isn't there, says the woman. What if I dig and she's not there? says the conjure woman. She always been there. Welcome back. I hope you enjoyed the story. Please consider making a stop at our website at nightmare-magazine.com. If you'd like to help spread the word about the Nightmare Magazine podcast, go to iTunes, find the Nightmare Magazine podcast, and leave a review or rating there. Nightmare Magazine is published by John Joseph Adams. If you haven't already subscribed, check out our many options at nightmare-magazine.com slash subscribe the stories of this podcast are produced by skyboat media the most respected independent audio production team on the west coast they are headed by the audi and grammy award-winning narrators stefan rudnicki and gabrielle decure you can check out skyboat media's website at skyboatmedia.com post-production is in association with jim freund music and sound logos are composed and performed by yours truly jack kincaid there's other ways you can be notified of new nightmare magazine content you can subscribe to our free monthly newsletter rss feed Follow us on Twitter or like our Facebook page. If you visit nightmare-magazine.com and click on this month's editorial, you'll find links to all of our social media pages. This podcast is copyright 2017 by Nightmare Magazine. Thanks for joining us. Sleep tight. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it. 
Or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz and how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts.